Amen, amen. Well, we've, uh, we've got the, the church's annual meeting coming up. We've been saying the last few weeks. Hopefully the 28th of May is in people's diaries. That's the date of our, our annual meeting, our APCM, where, um, uh, which is very exciting. And there's going to be a pig roast afterwards for everybody who comes. So looking forward to that. And in the run-up to the annual meeting, we, uh, we revise the electoral roll. Now, the electoral roll is basically the church's membership. So we give that a bit of an update. And so if you have joined uh, the church over the last year or so, um, then you might like to think about whether or not you consider this your church family and whether you want to become a member. And you can find a form which is over there by the door where you can just fill that in. We haven't got an exam uh, or an initiation. Perhaps we ought to invent one for anybody who'd like to become part of our church. But all you have to do is just decide that you feel as though you're part of the church family and then you can be on the lecture roll if you want to be a member. Or you can do it on your phone if you're good at that sort of thing. There's a form on the church website. Although you may want to listen to uh, what we're going to say this morning first before doing so, because it, as part of updating the church's membership, I just thought it'd be worth us spending a couple of Sunday mornings having a think about what it means to be a church member, what actually we're committing to as members of the church. I don't know whether that would be sort of terminology you'd think about using, but that's the word which is here in verses 4 and 5. If you've got Romans 12 open, it comes up a couple of times. Look at verse 4. It says, and this is Paul writing to the church in Rome, for just as each of us has one body with many members, in other words, uh, each of us has a body, it's got different members, different parts of the body, hands, eyes, feet, nose, whatever, making up the one body, and these members do not all have the same function, the hands and the feet do different things to the eyes and the nose, so in Christ, we, though many... I don't know how many of us there are here this morning, how many of us are in the congregation, but we are many. But we form one body, the body of Christ, the church, and each member belongs to all the others. It's a great picture, isn't it? It comes up a couple of times in different places in the New Testament. The idea that the church is the body of Christ and we are the members of the church, making, all playing a different part in making up the body. And so we all contribute in different ways, and there, there go, follows after that a list of the different things that people uh, do as members of the church. Verse 6, we've got different gifts according to grace given to each of us. Some of us prophesying, some of us serving. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's encouraging, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's leadership, then lead diligently. If it's showing mercy, then do it cheerfully. Um, and in some ways, it would be great to have a, I don't know how many there are on that list, six or eight, something like that, it'd be great to have a couple of months and just take them all one by one and work through, well, what are these different things that the different members of the body of Christ ought to be doing to contribute to the whole? Um, but since I don't think Paul is intending this to be an exhaustive list of everything that church membership is all about, um, I think what we're just going to do is pick out, well, what we are going to do is pick out the two sort of really pressing ones for us uh, over this, this Sunday and next, which is giving and serving. So have a look at verse uh, uh, 8. It says, if it's giving, give generously. And in verse 7, if it's serving, then serve. So we're going to think about giving this week and serving next week, which hopefully will tie in a bit with the coronation. Charles, hopefully following his mother's footsteps, will pledge himself to continue his life of service. And uh, what does service mean for us in the church? And this week we're thinking about giving. So I want to make a, 
as I suppose I probably already have done at the start of the service, a partial apology this morning if you're here for the first time or if you're uh, just visiting or a newcomer, that we're talking about uh, money and giving and finances today. Um, in fact, I actually had a conversation with the chap earlier this week, just got talking to in town, and ever such a nice chap, and you know, he was asking me how long we've been in Melksham, and I said, oh, we've been here about 18 months, just we're at the church there. He said, oh, you're at the church? I haven't been to church for ages. I've been thinking about coming along. And I said, well, don't come this week. Um, we're talking about money. <laughs> so I don't, he isn't here. So um, I'm sorry if that is you, and you've, this is the one week where you've come, and we're talking about money this morning. But as I say, it's, it's a partial apology, um, because actually, Jesus spoke about money all the time. And if Jesus wasn't afraid to talk about money, then neither should we. And not only that, but a recent study by the Church of England, which I read, found that only half of Anglicans had heard a sermon on giving in the past 12 months. And, (laughs) I don't know whether you've heard a sermon on giving in the past 12 months, you might might not, but of those who had, uh, most of those said that it hadn't changed their mind which I thought was rather interesting. I don't know whether that's because Anglicans are stubborn or because Anglican preaching is rubbish, maybe a bit of both. Um, But I I do hope that we are at least open to... I sort of heard that and thought, well, what's the point of having preaching if it doesn't change anyone's mind? I hope that we're up for at least opening our our minds this morning to the possibility of changing it, because if you have a look at verse 2, this is what Paul hopes for the church. It says, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. The world thinks in a certain way, What we need to be as Christians is transformed by the renewing of our minds so that we can understand what pleases God. So I hope this morning that we are open to the possibility of having our mind transformed and renewed, uh, possibly even changed, about the question of giving. So I've got three points I want to make, and um, we're going to come at it by asking three questions that may or may not change our minds. First question, uh, who should give? Second question, where does my giving go? Third question, how much should I give? And I'm just wanting to see whether we can change the mind of anybody who thinks, in answer to the question, who should give? Somebody else. Um, And I'd love us to see, actually, giving is something for all of us. Um, I will hopefully change the mind of of somebody who, in answer to the question, where does my giving go, who's not persuaded, really, that giving to the church is a very worthy cause, for us to see, actually, there could be nothing more worthwhile to give to And actually, anybody, in answer to the question, how much should we give, uh, actually thinks that giving is coming from a place of ought to or has to, but actually sees that giving is is something that we would want to do and have an opportunity to do. So that, uh, even as I say, it sounds rather ambitious, uh, but we'll give it a go. First question, okay, so who should give? Who should give? Have a look again at verse 5. This is really a key verse in Romans 12, I think. Well, it's certainly a key verse for us this morning. Verse 5, Paul says, So in Christ, we, though many, form one body and each member belongs to all the others. Each member, what that means literally is every individual, all of us here, if we consider ourselves to be a member of the church, belong, strong language, isn't it, to all the others. In other words, who should give? Each member. Or look at the way the chapter starts. Look at verse 1. Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, 
Brothers and sisters. Isn't that interesting? Because I think so often we think of the church, don't we, as an institution. Of course, it's not an institution. Well, it is to some degree. But really, actually, first and foremost, what the church is, it's a family, isn't it? It's a family. And so what that got me thinking about is family finances. And different models of, I think, different families work in different ways when it comes to family finances. Don't know what the model is in your family. Some family have the model of the bank of dad, don't they? And, uh, you know, dad pays for everything. I think some churches are a bit like that. The Victorians are probably a bit like that. You know, they actually had patrons who, who, you know, I was reading about Barnwell, Reverend Barnwell, who lived over at Melksham House. You know, he, he just funded everything, apparently, as far as I can work out. Oh, we need to build a new church over in Forest, part of town. Barnwell will pay for it. He literally just funded St Andrew's Church and the school, Forest and Sandbridge School, the Bank of Dad. Well, sadly, we haven't got a, a wealthy patron to back us up. Or what about another model is the successful sibling. And uh, my brother and I, whenever we go out for beers or uh, for, um, you know, to eat or something like that, my brother earns a lot more money than me. And so every time the bill comes, there follows a charade in which I pretend to get out my wallet. And, and then he immediately goes, no, 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 don't worry about this, I got it. Uh, and I go, oh, are you sure? And he goes, yeah, no, I'm pretty sure you got it last time. And so I put my wallet back in my pocket in full knowledge that I did not get it last time. And I'm very unlikely to get it the next time because my brother's got a lot more money than me. And so it's a bit of an unspoken thing that he picks up the tab. Actually, churches work like that sometimes. One church I was in, there was one particular individual and he was, uh, he was sort of like an order of magnitude wealthy. Um, and he wasn't, you know, he was an amazing, amazing guy. And, and the, but everyone knew it. And in some ways, that was great, because he was able to be really generous. But in another way, it, I think, actually, maybe it had been unhealthy, because it kind of disincentivized anyone else, disenfranchised them from feeling that it was worth contributing financially. Well, we're not in either of those two models, sadly, thankfully, maybe. Nobody's ripped around here. In this church family, we split the bill. I think that's pretty much the long and the short of it. We're going on holiday this summer. Our family, the Thompsons, for the first time in, I don't know, five years or so, we're having a family holiday. All of us, all five siblings, plus spouses, plus our five kids between us, plus my mum and dad, uh, found a big enough uh, house far enough away from any other dwellings to accommodate us and, um, and we're all going away for a week in France which I'm really, really looking forward to basically what's going to happen is uh, we're all going to chip in uh, there's going to be total transparency about how much everything costs and some people chip in a bit more some people a bit less depending on how much you know, what the circumstances are in fact at the moment everybody's you know, got jobs and things. In the past, that hasn't always been the case, and so maybe some people have paid less, or some people have paid not at all, and that's fine. But actually, we all want to contribute because we're all members of the family. We belong to one another. And my prayer is that our church would be like that. That we would all want to contribute because we're all members of one family. Each member belongs to one another. So the finances are going to be totally transparent. They're going to be published at our annual meeting. 
And Julian, our treasurer, has been working on the annual reports, which are going to be shown there. They've summarised in this leaflet. You can ask questions of Julian if you want to know more, but please do have a read of that. I wish I'd have called this family finances instead of giving at Milksham Church, which sounds rather impersonal, doesn't it? But that's what this is, basically. It's family finances. Full transparency, splitting the bill. Who should give? Every member. Second question. Where does my giving go? Because, hilariously, when they did this study about the Church of England, which I read, (laughs) well, I thought it was hilarious anyway, they found two facts which I thought go well together really interestingly. One fact is that a third of Anglicans do not give to their church. But also, fact number two, only a third of Anglicans view their church's need as very important. Now, my, I just thought that was so funny, because if, my, if I understand that right, presumably those who think the church's need is very important are part of the two-thirds who do give. So that, what that must mean is that we've got a third of the, of, of the whole of the membership of the Church of England who think that the church's need is very important and who are giving. We've got a third who don't think it's very important and don't give, but in the middle, there must be a third a third-third of people who are giving, but don't think that they're giving to something very important. Now, that is ridiculous, isn't it? I don't know whether anybody here like that this morning who does actually give to this church but thinks it's a bit of a waste of money. I mean, it's no wonder, is it, really, that the Church of England, which it is, it's in a mess. It's no wonder that the Church of England is in a mess when a third, well, when two-thirds of the members of the Church of England do not think that it's very important, and of those, half don't even give at all. Well, I wonder whether that's because we've never really asked, where does this money go? Because if somebody asked me to donate my hard-earned cash to their financial black hole, I probably wouldn't be very enthusiastic about it either. So have a look again at our key verse, verse 5. What is it we're actually doing here as a family? Verse 5, so in Christ we, though many, form one body form one body and I just read that and think that's what we're trying to do we're trying to form, shape, create build one body one congregation, one group one family, one church we're trying to build the church we're trying to form the body that's what we're doing we want to see people in this town have the opportunity to meet Jesus we want to see people come to faith We want to see people grow in faith. We want to grow and develop in love for God and love for one another. We want the church to be alive and and a place of of excitement. That's what we're all about, isn't it? Building the church. Now, if you have a look at the leaflet, though, if you've got that there in front of you, have a look at it, you can see where our money goes. On that little uh, pie chart there, where does my giving go? Second pie chart, expenditure you can see that the biggest chunk of our expenditure is that dark red portion which says parish share. (laughs) Normally, those are two words to suck the life out of any meeting. Parish share, and a groan goes up. Oh, the diocese. Parish share is where is the money that goes to the diocese. And I would like to have a go at correcting a uh, misconception which I think many people have about the fact that we contribute money to the diocese. In fact, the chappy who I told not to come to church this week, um, what he said, I said, oh, we're talking about money this week. He said, oh, it must be so hard to lead the church financially because you've got to try and get people to give, 
but the diocese, quote, this is what he said, he word for word, he said, but the diocese, take all your money. And I reckon that maybe there are some of us who think that way. But what is parish share? Why do we give money to the diocese? Parish share is the pot out of which clergy get paid. So, so basically, all of our money that goes to the parish share goes to the diocese. 95% of that goes directly on clergy stipends, housing, national insurance, pension, and only 5% of it is central kind of support, which is quite good, isn't it? So all the money we go to the diocese, 55 grand we paid them last year, it's going to go up to 80 grand this year because it's going up to what it was the year before last, before we had a discount. It's going to be 80,000 pounds. All goes to the diocese. It all goes, 95% of it goes directly on vicar's stipend, which raises two questions. One, if we don't like the idea of contributing to the parish share, what we're effectively saying is we don't like the idea of contributing to my wages, which, <laughs> which fair enough. You might think I don't deserve any wages, which is probably some days I agree with you. But, but if you do like the idea of me having a stipend, well, the parish share needs paying. But second related question is, do we think that the church is more or less likely to grow with a vicar? Do we think the church is more likely to grow with a vicar or without a vicar? I mean, the answer is that, well, Bromham, take Bromham, for example. They're just in the process. I think Terry probably knows more about this than me, but they're in the process of replacing their vicar. They can't afford a full-time vicar. They're going to now replace their full-time vicar with a 0.5 vicar. Well, what's that going to do for Bromham Church? In fact, it's not just Bromham. It's three churches. So what's 0.5 divided by three? Do you think that's really going to help Bromham Church to have 0.5 of a vicar? I don't think it is. Now, we want to see the church grow. Apparently, the main reason why Anglicans give to their church is the church building. Now, that's understandable, isn't it? We all love this wonderful medieval church building. But if we care about the building, then surely paying for a vicar in order to help the church grow will make the building easier to maintain. I mean, think about it. If you've got a congregation of 200 people, won't it be easier to maintain a building than if you've got a congregation of 20 people? So in fact, if we want to give directly to the maintenance of the church building, almost ironically, the most effective thing we could do with our money would be to pay the parish share to put a vicar in the church in order to be able to help the church become a lively church so that we'd be able to make the, pay the bills better. Does that make sense? It's a bit like when people give to charity and they don't want their money, they want their money to go to direct, 100% direct towards the actual cost of the cause that they're supporting. They don't want it to go on the overheads. People don't like the idea of paying the electricity bill of the charity. But what that's effectively saying is we're expecting the charity to grow without electricity. Ironically, the way to help the charity to achieve its objectives, the best way to do that might just be to pay the electricity bill. It's a bit like that teach a man to fish. um, uh, Give a man a fish, he'll eat for a day. Make a donation towards the church building, the building will be maintained for today. Teach a man to fish. Pay the parish share. Hopefully see a church grow and become lively and healthy and so on. Then the building will be maintained for a generation. Does that make sense? I think it's also worth pointing out, actually, our parish share is about to go up to 80 grand. We might go, woof, that's a lot of money. But actually, each clergy person costs 60,000 pounds. 
to the Diocese of Salisbury, which I wish I saw all of that. I don't, you might be thinking, don't worry, I don't get paid 60 grand. I get paid 27,000 pounds, which is the same as all vicars, and I get housing as well, which is quite good, isn't it? 27 grand plus housing. Um, although compared to other jobs with similar levels of complexity and responsibility and length of training and so on, perhaps not so good, um, but we don't do it for the money. But so £27,000 goes on stipend, the rest national insurance, pension and housing. £60,000 per vicar. We're about to get a second vicar, which means it doesn't take a mathematician to work out that for £80,000, we're about to get £120,000 worth of vicars. So the diocese do not <laughs> take all our money. Where does my giving go? Is it worth giving? I suppose it depends. Do we want to see the church grow? Are we, are we excited about the vision and the direction of the liveliness of this church? Have a look at those, um, that, those pie charts. Take it away and love to come fire all sorts of questions back to Julian via his email address. That'd be great. Um, final question. How much should I give? How much should I give? And I hope at least one person here <laughs> is asking that question this morning. Uh, different ways you could answer that question. How much should we give? You could say, in one sense, you could say, well, let's just have full transparency and split the bill. So you could say, well, this year we're planning to spend £185,000. Let's divide that by the 150 people on our electoral roll, which, assuming they all give, at the moment, that, I think about half of the people on our electoral roll give, but ignore that. Assume they all give 185 grand divided by 150 people on the electoral roll, divided by 12 months a year. It's about £100 a month, give or take, is what it costs to run the ministry of this parish. I don't know whether you think that's more than you're expecting, less, I don't know. That's one way we could do it. We could say, if you're going to be on the electoral roll, this is what you must do. We're not going to do that. Although that is how much the ministry costs to run. Another way we could do it is to say what we're all going to do, being a member of this church means we're all going to tithe. Now that, you know, tithing of course is the, is the biblical principle whereby we all give 10% of everything God has given to us back to him. And uh, that's what people used to do. That's why we had a tithe barn. There was a barn over there which had to, everybody gave 10%. We had to have a barn to put all the tithes in, and now people don't tithe, and we don't have a barn anymore. Um, we could say that, and I reckon, I was trying to work this out, that even if, of all the people in this church, even if we were on minimum wage, or if we were retired, had the average pension pot, and even if we divided 50-50 our tithe, half to our local church, and half to other charities which we wanted to support as individuals, I still think, I reckon that still would mean that we would be in surplus, which is quite something, isn't it? If we all, if everybody who's a member of this church gave 5%, it'd be easy. We could say that's what being a member of the church means you have to do. We're not going to do that. The final thing that I want to change our mind on, or at least to think differently about, is how much should I give is the wrong question. It's the wrong way to approach it. The, the, the approach of a Christian giving is not how much do I have to give, but actually in view of everything that God has given me, in view of his love for me, in view of his mercy and his grace and his great salvation, he's given me everything. How much can I give him of my time, my money, my energy, my, my everything? That's what Paul says. Look again, verse 1. Therefore, Paul says, 
I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, in view of everything that he's done for us, in view of Jesus, with him in view, with what he has done for us in view, with the cross of Christ in view, looking at the cross, that his sacri- he's given everything for us, he's sacrificed himself for us. In view of that, offer your bodies, your whole selves, as a living sacrifice. What's one of those? Well, a sacri- living, you know, we're standing up and walking around, but we're sacrificed, we're completely laid down before God. Holy and pleasing to God. Which is interesting. Is there a way of giving which is not pleasing to God? That's an interesting question. Surely we sort of think, well, God should be grateful for whatever we give him, shouldn't he? Actually, one of the oldest stories in the Bible, Cain and Abel, think of Cain. He sat down at the end of the month and went, oh, I've got a bit left over. I've paid my bills. Holidays booked. God can have the leftovers. Is that pleasing to God? It's almost a bit like a, a marriage in which one party is saying, all that I am, I give to you. And all that I have, I share with you. And that's what God has said to us. But the other party is saying, let me just weigh up all my other commitments and see how much capacity I've got. And I'll come back to you and we'll have a conversation. That's a bit what Cain did. And what Abel did was gave God the first fruits. He went straight to him, to God and gave him his best. A living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Why did that widow give everything she had? Because she had to. No. Jesus could have said, no, 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 don't worry about that. The rich guys will pick up the tab. She wanted to. So I think we should just be still for a moment or two and have a think where this lands with us. The last thing that I want this morning is for anybody to come away from this morning and think, oh, I really ought to start giving to the church. I don't want anyone to think that. I should, re- I should really give. What I would love us to say, in view of God's mercy, is to say, wow, God has given me everything. I would love to see his kingdom come, to see his church grow, to see the body formed, and I want to put my money where my mouth is. Let's be still. <coughs>